Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danson, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Well, uh, because I'm not going to be talking to you guys, Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays. And um, I'll see you after the first of the year next week. We've got Terrence Yang and uh, Nico Moran's going to be coming in guest hosting the show. And uh, yeah, you guys have a good one. So we were doing something special this morning. We've got Ben from BTC Sessions. He's going to be hanging out with us uh, in the first segment here. Why? Tell us why, Ben. What the hell is going on? I've got a... I might have a small show happening <laughs> later this evening with a few guests that some people here may be privy to, but I'm, I'm unsure. Uh, there, uh, would, you, would you like me to run the roster? What? Which I don't know what you want me to do here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's 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 pretty amazing what you have put together. It's going to be an epic, uh, an epic event. I think it's uh, yeah. It's um, I've got to say I'm super humbled that so many people gave me the time of day, let alone um decided to come on i actually i i felt really bad because there's like a million people that i would have loved to have on but i you know, <laughs> it uh it kind of shaped up so quickly that i got so many messages that uh um i just i can't run the show for like 12 hours because <laughs> i would die but uh um yeah so i'll basically the the long and the short of it is i actually did this last year um i did a little Christmas show and it was I mean by little I mean it was a, it was a marathon it was like five or six hours or something like that it was insane with a whole ton of guests so this is my my second crack at a Christmas show which is going to be it'll be on YouTube um, but it does also uh, the video does get streamed directly to Twitter as well um, so the first person that I asked was Michael Saylor on, on like publicly on Twitter and he agreed to it, which I think was a large part of the influx of DMs saying, Hey, can I, can I get a spot? And uh, yeah, so <laughs> that, <laughs> that might've, that might have helped a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I've got a show starting at 5 PM Eastern time. And the way it works is there's 30 minutes, uh, 30 minute panels on specific reasons why we're bullish so each panel will have a singular reason that we're discussing and uh so the panels go up first we've got self-custody with uh nvk from CoinKite, uh stefan lavera of course and max kaidun from hodl hodl 
Uh, after that, we've got Building Your Self-Sovereignty Stack with Matt Hill from Start9, John Stephanopoulos from FutureBit, and Seed Signer. Then we've got Bitcoin and Energy with uh, Adam O and Steve Barber from Upstream Data and Nico Amaran. And I believe we're going to have uh, Ben Gagnon from uh, BitFarms join us too, who is an excellent speaker. Uh, then we have Human Rights and Freedom with Alex Gladstein, Robert Breedlove, and Lynn Alden. Then we've got Improved Societal Incentives with uh, the lovely Tip, who you were just playing her music, uh, as well as John Vallis and Michael Saylor. Then we've got World Adoption with Samson Mao, Bernard Para from Bitnob, Jack Mallers, and Joe Hall. Uh, then we've got Building in Layers with Jeff Booth, Obi, who's working on Fetty, and Adam Back. Then we've got Lessons Learned in 2022 with Elise Colleen, Mark Moss, and Saifedean. And then after a brief five-minute break, we will have the Pleb After Party slash Prophecy Celebration with Yellow, Greg Zaj, Big Sean, Becca, American Hoddle, and others. So it's going to be a hell of a time. Uh, I will refrain from drinking until maybe that lessons learned panel near the end otherwise again i will be unconscious before the end of the show um but it's yeah it's gonna be a good time so uh grab your eggnog and uh put on a santa hat put on some tunes in the background and tune in because oh and we're also <laughs> i've got to say i we're giving away a ton of shit during the show too um so obviously like i have I have uh, people that sponsor my regular show. So I reached out to all of them and I said, hey, can you guys give away free stuff? And everybody said yes. So um, I think, was it um, Shake Pay is giving away toques. And yes, they are called toques. I'm Canadian and I refuse to call them a beanie. Uh, so they've got a bunch of Shake Pay toques they're giving away. Uh, Coin Kite, this is the one I'm really excited about, is giving away a Block Clock Micro. Um, Privacy Pros has given away three of those metal seed plates, the Bill Foddle. Um, Hoddle Hoddle has given away some some swag, like a t-shirt, hoodie, stickers, and a Treasure One. Start Nine is giving um, three bundles of a t-shirt and hat. And then Pri uh, Bit Refill is giving away three separate $200 vouchers that can be used on, on their platform. So... Um, and, and if you're unfamiliar, that's where you can use Bitcoin to buy gift cards. So anyways, we're giving away a ton of stuff. So basically on the hour, each hour, there's going to be some sort of a contest where I have to tweet out and, uh, we'll randomly pick people, but yeah, tons of stuff to give away. Okay. So just a quick congratulations, man. Like, well done putting that together. That sounds so, that lineup sounds amazing. Um, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, it's just a, it's a testament to like. Ben, what you've done in the space, like the fact that people are willing to jump on there like that with you is just, I think everybody knows like how much work and effort you've put into, to educating people on all the, on all the things that have to do with Bitcoin. So just, um, well done, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, again, pretty humbling to have so many people volunteer to come on, but not only that, but more people than I had space for saying, Hey, if you have any open spots, let me know. Um, and, and just know that, it, you know, anybody that, that volunteered to come on that I could not pick up, it was literally just timing. Whoever, <laughs> whoever had messaged me 
prior. Um, if there was a good spot, like a, a relevant topic, then I immediately plunked them in. But um, yeah, filled up quick. It was crazy. Okay, one more time before we go to Greg Foss. Uh, what time is it and how do people watch? Yeah, so it's at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, there's I just tweeted it out, but it's up in the nest there as well. Uh, so that'll have the YouTube link. Um, if you want to be super helpful and uh, appease the the YouTube algorithmic gods, you can hit that link now and drop an early like on it. If, if I guess if YouTube sees activity prior to a stream, then it'll bump it up in the suggestions for people. So yeah, if you can hit that link, uh, drop a little like, maybe, you know, you can't comment or anything yet, but um, yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, for those of you who tune into the pod later today, before that time, go to YouTube, search for BTC Sessions, and you'll find it. Greg Foss, good morning. Hey, guys. Um, ben, well done. Um, I think it's going to be an awesome show. I look forward to trying to listen to bits and pieces of it. Um, I wanted to put my hand up because as far as um, uh, news goes, um, Something I saw it tweeted out by Bitcoin Magazine, and it's about Russia. Uh, but it's uh, Russia in January will approve uh, uh, Bitcoin and crypto for international trade. Now, that's the key quote in my estimation is the international trade angle. Um, I'm inserting oil in there. Uh, that was, that's my take. Uh, but I've always argued that Bitcoin... Uh, oil priced in Bitcoin is the most logical uh, engineering sort of closed loop that I can think of. And I know some physicists come after me when I say Bitcoin is digital energy, but that's fine. Uh, Sailor says the same. So I'm going to partner up with Sailor on this one. When you sell natural resource energy for digital energy, it's just about the most logical thing I could think of. And I've long believed Russia will be the first one to do it on a global scale, a big player. Uh, because of what happened to their uh, accounts with the SWIFT network and their U.S. treasuries being frozen. So perhaps I'm reading too much into this, but in lack of Jacob uh, not having a news uh, news clip, that's my news clip for the day. Um, and I look forward to uh, just sitting back and listening to your show here. I didn't realize Ben was going to be on it. Uh, I was thinking Sam Callahan was supposed to be on it, so I wanted to uh, just listen to some macro stuff. Thanks, guys. Yeah, if yeah. only there was a morning show about Bitcoin that was talking about this happening like long before it happened. <laughs> it's good. We've been talking about this the the Russia thing for a long time. I mean, the fact that they're going to make they're going to make the decision in January to allow large corporations, I think is what they've really been trying to figure out <clears throat> and um make all that work with the central banks agreement and all of the different uh sort of people that work in that financial ecosystem. Yeah, I do think it's a big deal. I think it's a, it's like, and I agree with Greg, I, I think that pricing oil and price, well, gas, just everything that has to do with energy generation, pricing it in Bitcoin makes 100% sense. And I, you know, I also agree with the Bitcoin is energy paradigm. And like, you know, I agree. There are physics nerds who get really bent out of shape about that, but they're thinking inside the box of what they were taught at university about the rules of physics. They're not thinking about um, first principles uh, in, in how wealth is actually created. And, and the only purpose of money really 
is a transmission mechanism for human activity. It, it, it's a measurement of our time and our energy, as well as the other energy inputs that we figured out as human beings on how to leverage up and take advantage of those things to, to be more effective in whatever it is we do. But the bottom line is, is that if humans didn't use it, money, I mean, if humans didn't use it as an expression of their time and energy, it wouldn't be money. Like it, it literally, nobody would care. Like nothing would, <laughs> if humans weren't part of that doing that, then, then like, is anything going to give a crap? Do you think, do you think the trees care? The rocks care? The planet cares? Anybody cares? Nobody cares. Nothing cares. It's humans that, that make it relevant. So energy is appropriate. Don't trees have feelings now? Well, according to some people, plants don't eat carbon dioxide. I don't know what that's all about. I mean, this is like fucking, I learned that in high school in biology. Jesus. I wake up every morning. I roll out of bed. I look around. I listen to some news. And I come to Cafe Bitcoin and I am so fucking bullish. I am just so bullish and I'm so lost when, when on Saturdays and Sundays, when there's no cafe Bitcoin and BTC sessions, Ben, you had me at, I'm running a show today at five Eastern. The rest of it was just gravy. I'm telling you, I was shaking listening to that lineup. Amazing. Dude, that's, that's awesome. Literally shaking. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, very, very excited. Yeah, that might just be the caffeine kicking in. All right. That was, that I'm was already... a pretty awesome lineup, though. <laughs> I was shaking on the inside. Caffeine hasn't kicked in for me yet, but, but that is exciting, Ben. Congrats, dude. It's amazing. Speaking of the cafe kicking in, I'm AFK for... Five minutes. If you haven't, if you can't tell, I'm kind of already in vacation mode because I'm off next week. It's like a, a direly needed break for me. So I'm super stoked for this, for this holidays. Uh, so I'm stepping away. Be good. What are the chances that you don't do a cameo and show up at least once next week? Yeah, we're going to see him down in the audience. Hell yeah, we are. He's just like the rest of us. He can't do without Cafe Bitcoin. So, uh, Ben, did you uh, create a Noster? Do you have any TLDR on, on what that even is and why people are posting about it? Honestly, I've had all of maybe 10 minutes to play around. So, I, like, I'm, I've got the FOMO going on because I have not really set things up. Like, I, the couple things I tinkered around with, obviously, like, everything's very early stages. So, I kind of just you know, looked at a couple of the different, you know, sites you could go to. And I, I did create a public private key pair um, just as like a test one. Um, but I was trying to get like my, I think you can set like a username and all that stuff. And, um, and it should just kind of transfer over, but I've got to get a relay going. So like, I, I really, I, I barely even begun to understand what it takes to scratch the surface so that will be on the docket for me i think maybe I, i'm i'm sure it will evolve so quickly that any video i make becomes obsolete quite quickly but uh you know maybe that's something i should do anyways 
Is anybody else playing around with that wicked or ant? I mean, I don't. I really don't even know what it is or why it's important. I saw MVK tweeting about it, and then that's kind of why I felt like it was a big deal. But I had heard that Jack also was into it like a week before. I'm really out of the loop on it. Yeah, I'm mirroring where Ben is. Like, I haven't really dove in. Like, I have like a ten thousand foot view of what it is and what it can be but I, I haven't really dove in yet i'm still reading yeah i've only heard people yeah i haven't dove in either but i've, I've heard you know people say it's like akin to the early days of the internet where things are just kind of clunky and manual you know and it's exciting because because <laughs> you really have to get in there and set everything up and like kind of get a feel for it but yeah i haven't had the time to do it myself either so, so just to explain to people in the audience what it is it's uh it's like a twitter clone except it's decentralized so there's no censorship and your identity on it is a private public key pair so you generate a private key a, a public key is derived from that the public key is your identity that's how people connect to you and you, you can obviously set a, a name and an avatar although not through every single application and then just use it like you would twitter uh it, it doesn't have spaces or many of the advanced features but uh, but that's it. And there's there's obviously quite a few people from the Bitcoin community who are trying it out. So its main its main draw is the decentralization. Is that correct? I think that's it. it it's it, it's the the for sure. It's like the the expectation that nobody can uh, shadow ban you. There's nobody in charge. Not nobody will force any kind of fact checking on you or shut you down for what you for what you say and ultimately the the premise is you will be able to choose the settings on your client that determine what you see on your client not that someone at the center so like if, if you don't if you want to none of this functionality exists easily yet but if you want to can't block out certain words or certain topics or certain people that'll all be available to you but you become your own curator using your algorithms rather than there's some master algorithm that curates everything and there's no bots on there yet or anything else so that's kind of why it's a little bit like the early days of the internet the functionality is is just bare bones uh, and we'll see where it develops but will something like this be able to give us the best of twitter without the worst of twitter uh in the in the long term and uh and and the fact that you know like i have i hold out a big hope that we will be able to decentralize a lot of the internet because right now we have these really powerful computers that all of us are holding in our hands or in our pockets right now, but they don't really do any computing. All the computing is done in the data centers and we're just clients reading and receiving that information. If we can actually move the computing away from enormous titans of the, of the tech industry to hobbyists and ordinary people, then that'll really change the way the internet functions and, and it won't be our attention that is the commodity, right? We will, we will cease to be the product. We will be the producers and the owners of our own content on the internet and determiners of our own, of our own experience. And, and I think it'll be a much healthier time because I think our, our attention being monetized is, is leading to a, a lot of mental sickness in our, in our civilization. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that, Google, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, uh, I think I've mentioned Twitter already, are all required to 
use algorithms that influence us to behave in the way that their advertisers want us to behave rather than just offer a service in exchange for payment. So this uh, does nothing to change. Argument. This does nothing to change um, access for bad actors or anything like that. Is that correct? So it's 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 kind of a free for all in in that sense that there there could be a lot of misinformation yeah, and disinformation oh, for, spread for, for, on this platform sure. as well. For sure, it, like, no, there's nothing. There's no technology that can determine what is true and what isn't. Uh, so that so. Anything's anything goes is right now the information here. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't use Noster as uh, as the as a guaranteed source of truth. I, I would expect that it's a very early stage, uncensorable uh, alternative to Twitter is maybe so, the way I would so phrase the, it. This right this the by reason the that way, I asked that Tomer. Oh, sorry, Alex, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you either, but uh, this, by the way, is the reason why this discern this word discernment is a thing. People have forgotten how this works because you people have been protected by the government so much, and in ways society, people have lost this this thing. In discernment, it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, it atrophies. And getting better at it, you know, the only way you get better at it is you get exposed to stuff that you have to use your brain to think about. And that's not a bad thing. You can always block stuff, you know? What's really, um, like, a really scary kind of a scenario is if you have a centralized social media platform that people use, really, as, as sort of the town square, so to speak. And then what if, what if, you know, they then get AI to manage the protocol of what you see? And they can just input what they want. Like, hey, you guys are allowed to talk about this. Anybody who talks about this, you just uh, de-boost them, whatever the term is, you know, where they hide your, nobody sees it. Basically, you, you, you know, you're put in a glass box and you think you're talking to people, but no one can hear you. And you don't even know people can't hear you. That's the crazy part. You know, there's yeah. a lot of pushback against um, Elon today where he was saying now everybody can see the views. I think that's a giga chad move. That's absolutely brilliant. Why? Well, you can't hide whether somebody's being suppressed or not. There's some mainstream media accounts like legacy media accounts that have like, what, 50 million followers. And there's tiny little accounts on Twitter that get more views and more, more interaction with them. Like, what does that tell you? It tells you like all of that has been like an illusion for a long time. I wouldn't trust those views too much, but um, one thing I was going to mention is uh, I'm curious, you know, like where does where does Noster tie in with um, with a platform like Impervious? Uh, because you know, I was, as soon as um, Tomer, you you know, you were saying how Noster has a, a lot of the same Twitter functionality, kind of base functionality, but it doesn't have spaces. Um, the first thing I thought of was Impervious and how it's kind of you know. Uh, decentralizing or or at the very least like making yeah. making uh communications peer-to-peer -peer, which which actually makes the communications faster and yeah. so i'm wondering if, if i could Noster could do something similar with well with, if i like, could just spaces. jump in i i think i think you're starting to see be, whether it's impervious or keep.io which is peer-to-peer -peer, uh rooms peer-to-peer -peer <laughs> video calling rooms which might end up being cooler than spaces uh all of these bits and pieces are starting to emerge. It's like this decentralized web, the real thing, not DeFi, not decentralized in name only, 
but actual decentralized web, which requires no tokens for any of this other stuff, is starting to sprout, right? Like this is the springtime of Web5, if you want to use Jack Dorsey's term for it, or the decentralized web. I just, I just got my, uh, I haven't installed it yet, set it up yet, but I got my Start9 Embassy OS Pro uh, machine in yet, the day before yesterday. And so I'll be setting up a much more robust server really soon. All of these things you can start to play with, and it's still early days. I don't want to promise you know, that it's that it's right around the corner, but you can start to see how you can put these pieces together really easily. And for people for whom privacy matters or censorship resistance matters, they'll start fiddling about with it. Right? It's uh, it's it's your chance to be a cypherpunk once more, You're not necessarily having to write code, but to start to run a, a sovereign code. And it's, I think it's really exciting. Uh, and that's what feels like the internet's early days all over again. Hey, I've got a question if anybody's privy. Um, so my understanding uh, in and around Noster is, uh, again, when you create kind of your public private key, more or less as you make connections with people, whatever they, whatever the term for that would be, um, you know, follows friending people whatever whatever it is but you you have social connections with individuals but then it's kind of platform agnostic like i've seen there's multiple instances of different web interfaces you can use with noster so that would effectively mean like in in terms of say what we're, we have today okay there's youtube and twitter and facebook and instagram and tiktok and all these different things it would effectively is it true it would effectively be the same profile that is um, that is again platform agnostic? The platform itself kind of dictates your user interface, what types of media you you're dealing with. Um, but should you migrate anywhere else, all of those connections that you have with other people remain constant, and all it takes is that person to um jump onto that platform they're already connected to you you're all the data that's relevant to the platform is already there is that kind of what what the yeah. goal is here well it's it's certainly one of the outcomes and it's just it's just like if you have your private key for bitcoin that you can use it in any wallet right and so if you have your private key which you, which is required to use noster you can use it in any client and so um and, and this thing there's what are called relays, which are, I guess, the I'm, I may be extending the terminology a little more, but everyone here is comfortable with Bitcoin. So the relays are like nodes. They store the history of the uh, of the messages that have been sent and the follow and the follower connection graph at, at any point in time that's established by by you. So they're kind of like the state of the network and anybody could run a relay, although it's not necessarily trivial. Um, but lots of people can run relays. So there's redundant copies of the database and there's redundant clients that people can choose to use should one of them become compromised in some way. I'm not an expert though. I, I just, I do want to jump in. I've, I've maybe dabbled for 30 minutes more than you. And so I'm sharing my understanding, but I may be slightly mistaken about some of what I say here or entirely mistaken for all I know. Yeah, and just to clarify, I'm pretty sure the relays aren't like full nodes. They're probably just storing, you know, bits and pieces because storing the whole network here is, is a yes. whole different animal. Than it's a recent state. 
uh, although yeah. somebody may, may choose to do the whole thing. Greg Foss. Yeah, so I have to say that I feel to... like you've. I have to say that in your in the time that I know you, I known you, I feel like you have grown as a person. You talking to Foss? Yep. Wow, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, you can't get you can't grow much older when you or grow much when you're sixty. But I appreciate that. I'm trying to grow as a person every day. Hey, um, Greg. Greg, yeah, you buddy. know you've yeah. made it when you talk about yourself in the third person. That was awesome. You talking to Foss? Uh, <laughs> uh, what I wanted to say is, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a techno neophyte. I grew up with a rotary dial phone. I've said that to you guys before. When my iPhone has problems, I give it to my kids to figure the heck out. But Jeff Booth told me to go on Noster. I didn't even know how to pronounce it. I said it was N-O-S-T-R. I didn't even know it was called Noster. I haven't done it yet, but I was on the phone with Jeff yesterday. Um, so if he tells me to do something, I generally take that as good advice. Um, but I need to step down you guys. Um, I'm going to be listening, but perhaps not able to comment, which I'm certain you guys are happy about. I just wanted to wish everyone a happy holidays. It's been one heck of a fight this year. Um, we are going to win. Um, it's not always easy to see the horizon, but I've shared with you guys, uh, my health issues, uh, and my struggles with anxiety and depression. And I have had so many people reach out to me this year, thanking me for being honest about that. And <clears throat> sorry, me giving them hope and, uh, and the like. So I'm choking up a bit, but I just, <clears throat> I want to tell you, you guys mean the world to me and we got to do this for the kids. All right. And we're going to do it. So Merry Christmas. I love you guys. Bye. Merry Christmas, buddy. Merry Christmas, brother. Likewise. Hell yeah. Let's go. <clears throat> By the way, we do Swan Private Macro on the second hour of every Friday. So, Greg, I know you wanted to hear Sam Callahan when you came in here this morning. You can still hear Sam Callahan. He will be here in about 30 minutes. We do love you too, Greg, by the way. What an interesting community. <laughs> Name one place like that. Wow, what a trip. Alex, I, I, um, so I'm going through. I haven't got around to everybody yet. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sending out notes like Greg right there was talking about because um, it's a time of reflection, obviously, as, as we hit this new year. And um, especially with spaces, you know, for the last year and a half, you know, you get to know, you get to know everybody. Then you're meeting at these conferences. And, yeah, it becomes your extended family. And to be quite honest, man, I, I know people here, some people here, much better than some of my IRL friends because we have this common shared uh, dream of what Bitcoin represents to humanity. So, Alex, man, take look, <laughs> I know what it's like, man, when you're trying to show up day after day doing your spaces. So, yeah, take that mental break next week. Um, I think Anders and I will still be running um, as much as we can. So, hey, come in. Come in. It's just a speaker. Hang on the other side for a while if you get an hour. Um, but yeah, everyone take a break, a mental health, you know, break is always good, but, uh, Hey, thanks to every single one of you guys on stage. I've gotten to know this year already, you know, Ben, Jeff, Tomer, all of you guys, Terrence and Lisa, you just got to meet this year. Wicked. It, it, you guys are extended family and, um, yeah, there, there, there's literally nothing I wouldn't do for any of you, but thanks for your contributions. And man, everyone that comes into these spaces and even if you're just listening, or asking questions, you're you're helping. You know, as, as Alex says, get on the mission. You know, you're helping someone that is new here. 
that is learning and they, they heard something from you. They heard a nugget that you may say, oh, I say this every day. Well, yeah. Okay. I know you do, but guess what? There's a lot of new people coming in that need to hear it again. So thanks to everybody on stage. Did I yeah. hear you choking up there a bit too, puppy? Yeah, I had, to, I had to shut it down there for a second. <laughs> Anyone who speaks today and doesn't choke up is not a real Bitcoiner. That thing the puppy was saying about like if you're new, you st if you if you've studied Bitcoin for a hundred hours or more, it's okay to start talking about it. You may not know everything, but here's the thing is that mastery comes by teaching others, right? That doesn't mean you stop ever. You can absorb thousands of hours of material and then just sort of distill it and then start regurgitating it and teach it. And like some people come on the show, you know, people who are deeper into <laughs> the funny thing about cafe is we try to keep it as much as possible. New person oriented because the mission is all the people that aren't Bitcoiners yet. That's what we need to do, guys. We need to get all those people to become Bitcoiners. Like it's the idea is not we sit around and just, you know, echo chamber to each other about Bitcoin. That's not the point. Point is all the new folks. And um, there's a, because of that, we repeat things a lot. And there's a saying, repetition is the mother of all learning. So there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't like it, like if you're like, well, I'm a Bitcoiner, I've heard this before. Look, it's not about you. Get on the damn mission. Start, stop thinking about yourself all the time. Focus on other people. There's a lot of people that need to be taught here. And you, regardless of your place in this whole thing, like you have a lot of value to contribute to others. Like every single person within the, within the reach of my voice, if you're still trying to figure out Bitcoin, you're used. It's all good. Hang out, learn. We'll be nice to you. But if you've figured this out, get on the mission. Let's go. You have work to do too. Good morning, Lisa. I got choked up just listening to you, Alex. Yeah. Oh. It, you know, I really identify with what Greg said because I I used to say, you know, up to my daughter, I was like, well, I guess I'll be dead at 80 or two or whatever. And, and now I say, like, I'm going to live to be 100. And my daughter's like, what's the change? I'm like, well, no matter how much I saved prior to Bitcoin, I just was always fearful that I wouldn't have enough money. And I'd be one of those old single women with three cats, you know, living on, I don't know what, Campbell's soup under a bridge or something. Like, even though I feel very uh, financially aware and, you know, I've saved and have retirement accounts, all that crap, right? It's like you still have this underlying, I still have this underlying, had this underlying fear that there would never be enough. And once I figured out Bitcoin, I was like, holy cow right? Like this, this is hope. This is the power of your energy being preserved for all time. And I think this is like the change that happens within Bitcoiners, how we all become hyper aware of what we eat and exercise and hiking and CrossFit and, you know, whatever it is that we choose to do to like tone and hone our mind and our bodies. Um, it's, it's all wrapped into this beauty that's Bitcoin, which, you know, I love you guys for hosting this space and I love Pubby and Anders for doing theirs because the more people that can just be wrapped in and see this community for what it is and, and, and understand that it's more than, you know, market go up, market go down, this might go to zero, right? There's, 
there's this huge message and hope within this community that I just don't know where else you find it. I don't think it exists anywhere else, certainly in no other market, but I'm, I'm not quite sure what community other than perhaps a religious community that, that it exists within. There's definitely nothing like the passion of Bitcoiners, right? If you're brand new, like if you've come to this show, you've never, you know, this is your first exposure. You might be listening to this going, wow, these people are really like, wow, like what the heck is going on? <laughs> but like, that's, that's it. Once, once people figure out what Bitcoin is, that one way door that you walk through, like you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's why Bitcoiners are the way they are. If you, if, if it doesn't make sense to you. Like that passion that doesn't make sense to you. There's nothing, there's nothing I have ever seen in my life in 51 years, almost 52 years on this earth where people are that show me one knitting club, one canoeing club, one biking club that is as passionate as Bitcoiners. Why? Because this thing is, is the future for humanity. Believe it or not, that sounds like a big statement and it may not make sense unless you spend some time studying it. But once you, once you, Spend the time. You will. I don't know a single intelligent person who has done the heavy work, the heavy lifting of figuring that out that disagrees with that. Go ahead, Tomer. Yeah, I've, I've got to head off soon, too. So I just thought since people are sharing their thanks for the community, like for, uh, this past year in particular, although the whole time I've been involved with Bitcoin, it's been this incredibly curious, very varied uh, wild group of people who are interested in in such a broad spectrum of things that, that matter whether it's physics or engineering or monetary policy or politics or freedom or philosophy this thing just gathers people from all around and the the mix the stew the melting pot that becomes uh that comes out of this community is just, it is unlike anything I've experienced before. And part of the excitement of it, you know, I think for different among us is we're all exploring this thing at the edges as it continues to grow and it's unprecedented. So we're not, we're not only studying history as history in the past, we're st studying history as it's being made and we're in it for the ride. Like we've got skin in the game. So it's such an exciting adventure and and it's filled with ups and downs and uh and yet the commitment and perseverance of everyone to it is uh it, it, it's unprecedented for anything that i've seen anywhere else which i think is echoing your statements alex like there's just there's so much there's so much support and so much curiosity and so much interest and so much of an experience that you cannot have anywhere else and it's priceless Go ahead, Peter. Kudos to everybody that's on stage. Kudos to everything that's been said. It's so true, and it, it is so heartfelt. You know, Bitcoin is liberty. Um, you know, uh, Natalie Schlement said it. You know, it, the, the, the keystone to liberty is your right to, to opt out, and this is our right to opt out. And it's it's the first time in my life I've actually owned something that nobody can take away. And it's truly amazing when, when that revelation came to me, when I understood just that one thing about, about this protocol, about 
about Bitcoin, about what it is. It's just it's it's mind blowing. It is everywhere and it is nowhere at the same time. And it's uncensorable. It's something that I own, that I can do what I want with. It is the ultimate expression of liberty and freedom. And I want to thank everybody that has helped me on my journey, which because of this community has been accelerated. I, I was able to do this and to get to where I'm at in, I don't know, l less than a year, certainly. And I know there's people that have been uh, in the space for a long time and didn't have access to this kind of knowledge and this kind of community and this kind of mentorship. And I want to thank each and every one of you because you've all influenced me and you've all helped me on this journey. For context, because people might not know what Peter's talking about when he says where I am now, like <laughs> a year ago, I mean, like dead from a dead start, like basically, a, a you know, used to be a fiat bro, essentially. And uh, yeah, has made a lot of progress in terms of what he knows how to do with with uh, self-custody and all, etc. I'll leave it at that. Hi, good morning. Hello, hello, Alex. Hello, everyone. Uh, it's been a while. I don't, I don't speak too much. I've been busy mining fiat and learning lining and Bitcoin, continue understanding Bitcoin. I uh, just want a quick, quick thanks. Uh, the, the least I can do is thank, thank the community, thank all of you, Swan Bitcoin, uh, Alex, Camila, Cody. Tao for everything you do as well to to help us learn the from the very basics. It's, it's crazy that it's been more than two years since I know everyone here and and I don't know you in person, but I think I will know you all in person next year in in Pacific Bitcoin, which I will go with my shoes and ready to play some basketball as well. So oh, and also a big shout out to BTC Sessions as well for everything he do as well. Amen. Uh, just just want to say thank you all and. I think Tomer is gone. I don't know. I don't see, but thank Tomer as well for, for everything. Dr. Ch Dr. Jeff uh, also for all the, the wisdom and understanding and a big hug to Greg when I see him in person, hopefully when I meet him in person. But thank you guys. It's, it's December 24th here already in Japan. It's Saturday, December 24th, 12.42 a.m. So I will keep listening. Thank you all. Yeah, shout Thanks. out to Dr. Jeff, man. Because um, sometimes you you gotta you gotta take the bad guy role. And look, when our our bullishness and hope hopium was kicking in, no, we had Dr. Jeff the bear all year long to keep us straight. So thank you, Dr. Jeff, sir. <laughs> You're welcome, puppy. It's the least I could do. I'm here to bring everybody down, rain on everybody's parade. I'm hoping to do that uh, into the first half of 2023 as well. And and uh, hopefully, Bitcoin will be as cheap as possible for everybody for the new year. By the way, it's not going to last forever, you guys. The bottom is coming. The bottom is nigh. The end is near. Uh, and it's just setting up for uh, just a literally epic bull run to follow. So uh, buckle up. Um, anyways, Merry Christmas to you guys. Love you all. Thanks for Merry including Christmas. me in the group. Yeah, always, man. Hey, by be the buying, way, Is now a good time to buy Bitcoin, Jeff? Always. 
And actually, I say always, but as a value investor and a guy who studies this stuff, it's a fantastic time to be buying Bitcoin right now. So I wouldn't say that if we were peaking, you know, I wasn't saying at 69, it was a fantastic time, even though I did think it was going to go to 100. There are times where it's definitely cheaper than it should be. And there's times where it's, I think, more expensive than it should be in the near term. And right now it's absolutely cheaper than it should be in the near term, thanks to the uh, recessionary bear market. Uh, and it's, I think it's possibly going to get cheaper and that's fantastic. So take advantage, you know, great investors. Uh, they, they, they understand valuations. They know when things are expensive and they know when things are cheap and they tend to swap things that are expensive for things that are cheap. I would say right now that the U S dollar is still, uh, relatively expensive and, and strong and, uh, Bitcoin is amazingly cheap. Um, from the different valuation models I look at. So I would just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm DC and I DC on Swan every, every Wednesday. So if you guys want to join me on Wednesday, it's a great day to, uh, to DCA. Um, and uh, yeah, just super excited for uh, getting it over with in 2023 and starting the new uh, bull market, hopefully. All By right. the way, may, if I may, uh, not, not to steal it, but since I have, have the floor real quick, just announced my. Uh, it was a short stint, but I just announced my resignation from Bitcoin Magazine and the and the Bitcoin Magazine Pro team. It was super fun working with Dylan and Sam Rule. They're they're doing some awesome work there. Um, but I uh, just want to let you all know too. Um, so I'll have a little more time to be on Spaces again. Um, and excited to be with you guys and and continue to promote uh, Bitcoin education around the world and and on Twitter Spaces. Arneo. Um, thanks for hanging out here on the regular, Jeff. You're a great contributor. Okay, let's hit announcements real quick. And then I've got a quick little homework assignment for everybody who's currently up here. And if you're in the audience and you want to play this game, you can too. And that is, uh, you know, let's just kind of recap the year. If you have a second, jot down, what do you think the three most significant, important things in regards to Bitcoin happened in the year 2022? And we'll go with that right after announcements. So you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin and all the things that intersect with Bitcoin. Sometimes, I mean, we talk about like savings habits and things like that. Why does all this matter? Because Bitcoin is synonymous with a lot of things and it empowers a, um, a future, I think, for humanity that's a big level up that we've never seen before. This is like an evolutionary moment in, in humankind. A lot of people don't realize that yet, but it's happening. And we're part of it right now. Um, this is the place for your morning news. Preferring out for some of the smartest minds in the industry. It is also a podcast because we do this live on Twitter spaces every day. It's also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you can't catch a live show, you can catch the pod. Follow me or Swan to be notified of when those drop. If you want to give the gift of Bitcoin during the holiday season, Swan's a great way to do it. I do it. Did it last year. Doing it again this year. It's pretty fantastic. Swanbitcoin.com slash gifts. You can just go there and send Bitcoin to people you love and orange pill them. Like, you know, if they're willing to go through the step to accept that Bitcoin, guess what? It's a great for way for you to talk to them about it. What else? Swan app. Go download it, install it, rate it, review it if you like it. It's awesome. Why? No shit coins, first of all. Second of all, very high signal, and it's great. It's from Swan. Why wouldn't you like that? All right, let's keep rolling. Hubby, you're up. Man, I, I love this. And I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll do um, this year-end review type stuff. Uh, look, I only have one 
Um, and it's called Not Your Keys, Not Your Coin. This is what 2022 has taught us. Not your keys, not your coin. When you saw people chasing yield, you saw the collapse of Luna. When you see Celsius go down, then the exchanges, then you got BlockFi, then you got FTX. People finally realized the only brilliant factor of Bitcoin is that you self-custody. All right. So everyone learned a valuable lesson this year. If it's on an exchange or if you're getting greedy and chasing yield, you might as well kiss it goodbye because that's where it's going. All right. The entire point of Bitcoin is self-sovereignty. It's removing any sense of value from the centralized systems that control it. So that, that's my year in review. Thank you. Yeah, I agree with that, Pubby. That's that's been uh, probably the best lesson of 2022 for sure. Um, it was really sh you, you only gave us a, like a minute to do this assignment, Alex. But I came up with two things. Um, the first is, you know, I've been in Bitcoin since 2016 uh, or so. Uh, but I, you know, I, I say that's when I that's when I started. But I was held back until the class of 2019 because it took me that long to actually understand how it was different from crypto. Um, so here's my two things. One is that from compared to 2016. Bitcoin is just absolutely now um, in the psyche of popular media and the masses. Like back in 2016, you had to search really hard to look for good articles on Bitcoin. You, you, it was like if it was in the news at all, it was like a back page thing and it was usually some kind of conspiracy theory kind of thing. Now, every single day, even in even in traditional finance, you know, media sources, they're always talking about Bitcoin, even if they hate it, they're talking about it all the time. It's it's in the psyche of everyone now. That's a really good sign that to me, that's just like kind of phase one of worldwide adoption is is first it starts in the psyche of everybody. Uh, it's the same thing. I, I look back, uh, you know, to like the 1990s. And this is exactly how it was with the Internet, too. You know, first it was just for kind of kooks and weirdos and, and uh, you know, and, and programmers and stuff. And then, you know, little by little, everybody started talking about it. And there were still tons of detractors in the early days. But eventually it just, you know, the infrastructure got built out right under the noses of everybody's and then it became ubiquitous. So I see the same thing happening with Bitcoin as well. And then the second thing, and it kind of correlates with this institutional adoption. I think that's the next phase. And that's why I'm so excited in part for the next uh, bull market is that institutions have been gearing up and they finally have their infrastructure built out and their regulations are kind of getting in order where they can start to uh, buy into Bitcoin. And so this has been, you know, it's been for retail investors to date. And that's awesome because retail investors get to profit by, by beating Wall Street to it. Um, but in the next phase, I think we're going to see some serious institutional adopter. We've been talking about that for several years. Um, but but I think this is again, it's similar to the 90s for me with with how the dot com boom was. Uh, it was the hacks and the scrubs. And like right now, it's the DGEN crypto exchanges that have gotten all the popular press, but they're all going down one by one. And we're starting to see like the, the adults in the room are starting to pick up the slack. Uh, the people who just simply hold Bitcoin and store it safely, those kind of things, the institutional adoption kind of people. That whole infrastructure is getting is getting built out, uh, and I think that's gonna uh, it pretends for a, a very fantastic uh, future for Bitcoin going forward. So those are my couple points. Fantastic, I agree. Go ahead, Wicked. Yeah, so I would I would just you know build on everything everyone said. I agree with everything. Um, I'd say you know the two things I'd focus on is uh, you know twenty twenty two saw a strengthening of the base layer. I forget when when uh, Taproot came out, but you know that that was recent enough that we can kind of just 
keep on pointing to the base layer, you know, continuing to be strengthened um, uh, throughout this year. You know, another year of flawless uh, uptime and, and running of the base layer. And you know what that means. Lindy's effect is, is, is in play. So in all of our minds, you know, the longer Bitcoin stays around, the longer it's likely to stay, uh, stick, right? The longer it's likely to stay around. So I think Lindy's effect is playing out beautifully another year down. Um, and then uh, the, the second thing would just be development of fediments and, and other second layers around the base layer, which is just, you know, making Bitcoin better, stronger, faster at every level. So those are the two things I would say. So I've got a couple. Um, number one is stack chain. Um, I, I have stacked more sats in the last, well, you guys laugh at me, but you know what I did? The reason I changed my icon from stack chain to this is because I can't, it's difficult for me to, to stack on with, when, with, without my phone. And so I had to switch out of my stack chain uh, SIG account into my stay on account because I just stacked two blocks on the chain. Uh, yellow did a triple stack. Um, and I just, I had to stack, I had to FOMO in, I had to stack, I have stacked more sats because of stack chain, um, than I would have probably in the next two years. I did it in a couple of months. It is, it is amazing how this gamification of stacking sats has uh, changed my bag. I, I will just say that. And I really appreciate the fact that uh, Swan has supported this. Um, they now have stack join functionality. I really um, am appreciative of Swan supporting stack chain at the uh, Pacific Bitcoin conference, which leads me to the second most important thing that happened to me this year. I went to my first conference, which was Pacific Bitcoin. It was truly amazing. I am uh, lucky, I guess, because I went to my first conference was what I'm hearing is the best conference. So uh, next year, uh, Swan has uh, high standards to uh, to uh, live up to. And hopefully they make it better than uh, last year's. I don't know how they're going to do that because it was truly amazing. It was amazing. All the people that I got to meet uh, in person at the conference really changes. We were talking about community earlier and how important this community is to us and how it's changed us and how it's influenced us. Meeting those people that I interact with on a daily basis um, and being with them, in particular the stack chainers, being with them for uh, an entire you know, five days was truly amazing. And now when I talk to people on Twitter, I now have a face and a person and a personality and so many more um, uh, inputs, uh, social inputs to, to that. And it's really amazing. Stack Chain has given me the experience that one is supposed to have when one is on Twitter and Pacific Bitcoin has uh, only enhanced that and enhanced my Twitter experience uh, and my Bitcoin community experience by meeting all of the people that I met there. Thank you so much, this Bitcoin community. It is a bright orange future. All right, I don't know who's next. Y'all just figured out. All right, I'll, I'll hop in. 
what I loved uh, discovering or watching or learning about this year and hat tip to Greg Foss for his, I don't know if you guys remember when his original price model for Bitcoin came out <clears throat> and he talked about what he thought would be really influential in, in moving the needle for Bitcoin would be the adoption of Bitcoin as a, as a tool for payment for natural resources. And to watch the development of this happen in Russia. So in January, January 20th of 2022, Russia proposed a ban on Bitcoin mining. The, the use of mining for cryptocurrency was their official language. March 25th, the Russian lawmaker proposed Bitcoin for oil and gas exports from friendly countries like China and Turkey. And today there is a news article that says Russia close to legalizing trade in Bitcoin, says the head of the finance committee. And his exact quote is, in January of 2023, we want to legalize crypto to ensure foreign trade activities. I just think it's happening. Right. We're, we're witnessing the collapse of the petrodollar. We saw Biden go. Uh, we, we've seen the United States go to Saudi Arabia with you know, no success. We've seen Saudi Arabia and China meet. And now, you know, this is sort of coming full circle with Russia. Like it, this is so obvious once you understand the petrodollar, but it's like sort of happening in the background. So I think to me, this has been the coolest thing to watch in the space this year. Yeah, I'll add, I mean, everybody's saying, you know, awesome things that I was also going to say. So I have to like basically build off of it. But I mean, you know, contagion, that's a big one. I mean, everybody wanted institutions and, and, you know, big, big players in this in to come into Bitcoin. And, and we actually got to see firsthand uh what can happen and hopefully uh there will be you know some learning lessons there uh you know all this second layer stuff that wicked touched on and like the applications being built that have been coming out and abstracting away the complexities of bitcoin uh from the end user and you know uh like basically just building this infrastructure around us that's been major uh, the the continuing global adoption that we've had, you know, El Salvador was amazing news and, and you know, all of that. But, you know, the, the Russia news that, uh, that Lisa was talking about and that we touched on earlier and then like the Brazil news that, that came out recently, it's like it just keeps happening. It's, it's still spreading around the world. And no matter, you know, it's like you can't stop it. No matter what people are, are reading in the news about how Bitcoin's dead, it's like and the price is what it is. I mean, it's a big drop. We've been here before, but it's like these these this thing still spreads. It's still spreading around the world. And then I think the most important thing for me personally is just, you know, the the in energy industry, you know, mining and 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 you know the big ONG producers mining and their projects, Japan and Tepco with their project. This stuff is like so major. Where we've talked about it before, where Bitcoin has all these fascinating as, uh, like aspects to it, different facets that each one in its own right, in a, in a vacuum, is like groundbreaking, you know, transformative for humanity. This one alone is major, major usage application. So it's incredible. That, that's the one that I am most excited about. 
Let's go battle ant. I get fired up listening to ant. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> Love this dude. All right, Ben, you're up. And also, let's let's replug what you guys are doing at 5 p.m. today because it sounds like it's going to be awesome. Yeah, man. Um, so just to tag into the you know kind of exciting things this year for for me, I think one of the most exciting things is is seeing the collapses uh, that have happened from the perspective of Bitcoin is, is working as intended. And what I mean when I say that is it, it was effectively created because of the fuckery that was happening at the, you know, at our monetary base and the misaligned incentives that it created down the line. So, you know, we, we saw, you know, years and years of banks basically being able to, you, you can create money out of nothing. You can fractional reserve the shit out of everything, which further expands monetary base and, uh, or not the monetary base, but expands, you know, money supply and debases everything for everybody. Um, and, you know, these massive boom bust cycles rather than, you know, ripping off the band aid whenever somebody gets, you know, gets too far out over their skis. Um, and, and look how efficiently Bitcoin as a fixed supply money is able to weed out the back, the bad actors, like from, from the creation of FTX to its implosion. How long is that? A few years of like basically doing what a regular bank would do initially early on in Bitcoin. I was like, fuck, or I wonder if we get into a situation where, um, you know, cause we had gold, right. We had gold before. Um, and it, we basically, there was this creep where, okay, we've got a fixed supply of money or like a, you know, a relatively inelastic supply money. Um, but we had to, uh, you know, use, use, uh, derivatives of it in order to have it function in all the ways that we needed in a very global world. Uh, but I was, I wasn't quite sure if um, people could get away with the old fuckery, if enough people just didn't self custody, but even in a world where a ton of people were sitting on these exchanges, look how quickly those implosions come about when people start screwing around and making paper Bitcoin. Um, and I think that's, that speaks to the fact that we're entering a new paradigm and a lot of people, a lot of people want to do things the fiat way. They want to continue to do the things that they used to do um, as institutions and create money out of nothing and, and think that they can just kind of continue on down that path with this new money. And it's just, this this year has kind of shown me almost to the almost to the degree that um, uh, Segwit2x failure and the block size war was a holy shit moment of like, oh, we it works. It we won that these implosions. I think I'm realizing that they're just as impactful because the attack vector of paper Bitcoin is proving to be. A non-starter it's proving to be that you can you can do it for a little bit and and give a little bit of pain in the process because like you know had fdx not effectively created imaginary bitcoin for all those buys over the past year and a bit um 
you know, the price probably would have gone significantly higher. But we're seeing that despite the the temporary pain, these bad actors, they get flushed out. And sooner or later, with enough of those, that behavior is is going to be known as incredibly risky. Some people may still try it, but I no longer think we get to a point where we live on a world of paper Bitcoin, because even with a lot of people in custody, which don't don't leave your Bitcoin with other people, um, but even with a lot of people doing it, they still got screwed. And all I've seen this last couple months of the year is people emailing me saying, let's get a one-on-one. I need to self-custody for the first time. I, d- I did a, a session the other day with a, a dude who's probably in his early 30s and his mother, and I onboarded them onto a cold card each, and they got it. His mom was air-gapping transactions like a fucking boss, and it was incredible. Um, and, and this time and time again, I, I had a guy uh, reach out to me um, the other day. He is like, if, if anybody ever tells you they can't self-custody, this this is what you tell them to call bullshit. This guy's a quadriplegic, and he's like, my, I've got my brother here. He's going to help me with the like the physical aspect of this, and he's still learning self custody. Um, he's going through the trouble of like getting his most trusted family member to help him through his cold cart setup when he can't physically press the buttons. So if somebody tells you self custody is too hard, I call fucking bullshit. Um, so that's what I'm excited about. I think this, this again, renaissance of, of self custody, um, that we're seeing will continue to grow because Bitcoin does not allow for paper Bitcoin in the long run, perhaps a short run, but I think, I think, uh, a lot of these institutions and when, when Bitcoin starts being custodied by banks, I think that's the, the, the Trojan horse that, that comes in and really shakes things up where people realize they, you, you can't. You can't fiat this thing. It's unfiatable. <laughs> so anyways, oh, yeah. and then <laughs> the last thing I'll say is, uh, is uh, yeah, again, I got the show on at 5 p.m. Why are we bullish? Uh, the most epic guest list of all time. Sailor, Mallers, Savadine, Lynn Alden, uh, John Vallis, uh, Samson Mao, Jeff Booth, Adam Back, Elise Colleen, Mark Moss, all kinds of people. It's going to start at 5 p.m. Eastern time. It runs well into the evening, uh, 30-minute rotating panels, and we're giving away a ton of shit. It's in the nest. If you could give it a retweet, would be fantastic. And if you really want to be special in my heart, then jump over there early and drop a like, set a reminder. That would be huge. Okay, how can we lose? How can Bitcoin lose when we get guys like Ben on, on the Bitcoin team? Seriously, like that was that was awesome. We got to clip that part about ear gapping transactions like a boss. Um, 5 p.m. Eastern. Is it Eastern, Ben? 5 p.m. Eastern. That's right. 5 p.m. Eastern. YouTube. Search for BTC sessions. Let's go. It's going to be great. Um, all right. I'm going to do my recap. By the way, welcome up to Sam Callahan, Stephen Lubka, John Har, Terrence Yang from the Swan Private Crew. We're going to be doing Swan Private Macro here shortly. But what we've been doing this morning, guys, before you came up here is we've been, I asked everybody to kind of list one to three things, three, one to three things they thought that were the most important things that occurred in Bitcoin in the 2022 year. And so I'm going to do my three. If you guys want to jump in there and do that, you can, if you want to, you don't have to, but we will roll into Swan Private Macro right after that. So my three things are number one, I, I feel like, 
okay, I'm pretty new to Bitcoin, just saying. Like, I, I knew about Bitcoin since 2011, but I can be a stubborn ass sometimes. And, you know, I thought I knew better. <laughs> it took me a little while to figure it out. Eight years, in fact, before I started buying it seriously and studying it seriously. Um, so this is my first big bear market. And, like, my observation, looking at the industry and my experience looking at the industry uh, over time from you know, prior to 2019 from the outside really is in 2022, you know, one of the big things that changed, the gloves came off, you know, prior to 2022, it seemed like Bitcoiners were just playing nice with all these shit coiners. It was like, okay, we'll give room for your ideas. And like, you know, you can be the test bad and the test net and all that kind of, no, no, no. 2022, Bitcoin, not shit coin very strong message and the gloves are off like there's no more playing nice it's like let's fucking go i'm gonna by the way i'm gonna uh shout out to Corey clipson who's in the audience he's the boss that has been leading that charge all year like in the fucking trenches swinging okay what else specific bitcoin man that was a game changer holy Crap, that was amazing. Look, some people might say, y'all, you're just talking your own book. You're pop up, pumping up your own thing. Nah, man, like, <laughs> been going to conferences and events and things like that all my life. I've never seen anything like Pacific Bitcoin. You had to be there to understand it. It was, a, it was an amazing experience. And then finally, the last thing I'm going to say is that I feel like the community is starting to sort of align on the mission. I'm starting to hear more people say the mission. And I'm getting the feel a lot of these folks don't even know where it came from, but it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is if we can get Bitcoiners aligned, man, that's powerful. All right. Um, Sam, Stephen, or John, do any of you guys want to jump in with what you think is the most important things of 2022 before we roll into Swan Private Macro? Yeah, I'd love to. I got, I got two and maybe I'll think of a third one while I'm talking. Um, I think the uh, the number one thing that has really stuck out to me in 2022 is that I think for many people, including kind of internally in the space, but also onlookers and also people that maybe work in Bitcoin, I think it's been it's been a tough year. A lot of things have happened, but I think. What has happened specifically has proven the Bitcoin design choices and has proven the values, ideologies, and development perspectives that have been fought and battle-tested so hard in Bitcoin. You know, when you look at why these failures happened, they and by failures I mean Celsius, I mean FTX, I mean you know all the you know various altcoin hacks, rugs, failures, token mints, land grabs, security issuance, whatever you want to call it, all all of it. All of the high-profile blowups were essentially because companies, projects, teams, and organizations skirted the ideas and design choices that Bitcoin has stuck to and doubled down on. And in my way of looking at it, if they had complied with kind of the values that Bitcoin and Bitcoiners bring to the table, 
I mean, A, most of it wouldn't have existed in the first place, but these scenarios wouldn't have happened. And so I think 2022 has been a huge validation for the way Bitcoiners have approached this space, which has been the opposite of move fast and break things, the Silicon Valley tech ideology. You know, we have moved slowly and tried to make the right choices. And that has, um, there's this phenomena where in a credit cycle and in a, in, a, in a market where everyone's borrowing a bunch of money and cheap money is financing everything, people and companies who take on the most debt and leverage grow the quickest. One of the downsides of this is it makes them seem like better companies and it makes companies who don't do that seem like laggards. It makes them seem like they're not growing as fast. Why, why aren't you growing as fast as BlockFi? Why, uh, you know, why is X miner not growing as fast as Y miner who took on a bunch of leverage? And the leverage works as long as the flywheel keeps going, as long as the market keeps going up. And the problem is it bakes in fragility. It creates huge risks and actually causes investors and capital allocators to overlook the real companies making sound decisions. And Bitcoin's a lot like that, you know. Could Bitcoin in the short term have had a sugar rush of growth by embracing a lot of these negative practices? I mean, probably. But would that have blown up in its face? Absolutely. And so when the prices are going up, and we all know this, we've seen this in previous cycles, it kind of seems to validate, not really validate, but you know what I mean. It, it, to, to some people, it validates the practices and approaches. But when all the dust clears... I think you're left with a market that Bitcoin makes a lot more sense to. And we're seeing this in Swan and in Swan Private. I have conversations every day in the last few months of people who are coming for the first time and saying, okay, I get Bitcoin now. I didn't really get it before. Or maybe I own some. I didn't own a lot. Uh, I had some crypto. I get it now. I've sold the crypto or I'm selling the crypto or even even some people that aren't, but they're increasing their Bitcoin allocation. Bitcoin makes more sense to people. So I think that's the number one thing that really sticks out to me. And number two, I would just say is I think there's a big difference between this bear market and the last bear market. And I would characterize and this wasn't everybody, of course, but I would say general sentiment during the last bear market was, oh my God, is this thing really going to work? Like there was almost like existential doubt. And I would say there's basically zero of that today. Like in this bear market, it's kind of just like, hurry up and wait. You know, like no one's really worried. No one's really concerned like, oh my God, has Bitcoin failed because it's at 17? It's just kind of like, okay, let's, you know, hurry up and wait. So I think those are two things that really pop out to me. Yeah. I, um, good morning, by the way. But Stephen, that was great, man. I, I agree with everything you said. Um, just to add on to it a little bit, you know, I thought 2020 was a year where Bitcoin actually shown a lot of resilience, um, whether it's the endogenous crypto chaos or exogenous tumultuous macro environment, it's still pretty much trucked along and it's sitting at 16, 17K. We've had about four or five Ponzi schemes blow up 
and it's still sitting at 16, 17K. I mean, I think it's shown an incredible resilience. And from a macroeconomic perspective, the value proposition for Bitcoin has only strengthened this year as sovereign currencies around the world uh, continue to be devalued and central banks continue to grapple with policy credibility across the board. Um, you know, inflation is raging right now across the world. We got 2.2 billion people living in double digit inflation and the need for a decentralized store of value couldn't be more clear um, than it ever has been in 2022. And with that rise in inflation comes increased capital controls. They move in lockstep. And this year we saw Bitcoin um, shine in, in, at times with its censorship resistance. I mean, we got BTC session on stage right now with the Canadian trucker convoy, as well as during the Russian-Ukraine war. We saw it being used uh, by Afghanistan in Afghanistan with female coders um, and other areas across Africa where there's more capital controls and authoritarian governments. We're seeing adoption. You know, those things are really important. And we saw examples of that in 2022. Was that perfect? No, but we learned as a community what we need to improve as well. So it was a learning experience for us as well. What, what do we need to build for people to use Bitcoin in a censorship uh, manner? Um, and I think 2020 was the year that Bitcoin differentiated itself from other cryptocurrencies with Ethereum moved to proof of stake. I thought that was one of the most bullish developments for Bitcoin this year. And it really separates Bitcoin. Those two really should not be even talked about in the same sentence. They are completely different technologies with different goals. And um, obviously, Ethereum, after the move to proof of stake, has only grown more centralized and more censored. And um, other cryptocurrencies have suffered hacks. Um, and Bitcoin has continued to function with 100% uptime, settling trillions of dollars of value peer-to-peer -peer without any intermediaries. And that's incredibly powerful um, to differentiate the two. Um, and then at the scaling levels and um, adoption layers, or kind of like the application layers and the scaling layers, we've seen a lot of innovation. You know, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on Fediments and collaborative custody solutions. Taro, which was enabled by the Taproot upgrade last year. Um, that's going to in, uh, increase functionality on Bitcoin. We've seen the Lightning Network grow um, across the board in terms of Lightning channels, Lightning nodes, amount of Bitcoin on Lightning. You know, you're starting to see the skeleton of this new decentralized monetary stack um, come into focus. And it's really exciting to see in 2022. We saw hash rate increase 40%. So Bitcoin has never been more secure. Um, obviously, that was hard on miners because we've also seen a lot of pain in miners as they struggle with high energy costs, in, uh, decreased Bitcoin price, and increased hash rate. We're seeing more consolidation. Um, a lot of these leveraged miners are getting wiped out. Um, hopefully, creative destruction happens there. We see consolidation. We see equipment uh, move to better operators. Um, and that's a good thing in the long run, in my opinion. And in mining, we saw... Exxon, ConocoPhillips, Shell announced Bitcoin mining projects. You're seeing the integration of Bitcoin mining in the energy sector. We saw ERCOT come out with a report saying that it's a, you know, a flexible demand load and it could help stabilize the grid. We got Tokyo Electric Power Company. You know, that's crazy developments to happen all in one year in terms of the uh, innovation that Bitcoin mining is going to bring to the energy industry that has been starved for innovation uh, for the last decade or so, really since like fracking came along. Um, and then the last thing is that the institutional um, interest in Bitcoin has remained in this bear market, which is another uh, difference between 2018 and this bear market. Uh, BNY, BNY Mellon, Fidelity, BlackRock, you know, th these people, you know, we, I don't feel great about them as like, an industry and like, I don't support BlackRock, but that kind of development, I mean, if we want to get to these levels of, of Bitcoin's price appreciation, 
we're going to need these institutions to get on board. And they showed that they're doubling down on Bitcoin um, during this bear market where the price is down, you know, 68% year to date. And that's, um, that's something that we did not see in the previous bear market. So all of this shows that like infrastructure is getting built out. Bitcoins are still building. Bitcoin's still functioning perfectly as it was meant to since the Genesis block in 2022. And like, I'm incredibly bullish. Um, and I, I've just like actually enjoyed myself during this bear market. I mean, <laughs> in ways a lot more than the bull market where there's a lot of nonsense and euphoria going around. Uh, it's just been head down building uh, during 2022. And so I think it's been a great year and um, carrying into 2023, um, I haven't been more bullish. Hey everybody. Good morning. That's uh, awesome stuff from Sam, Steven, Alex, Ben um, really enjoyed listening to that. I could offer a couple things here that come to mind for me. So I think 2022 was a year where the need for Bitcoin as a non-state, immutable, digital, fixed supply, peer-to-peer, censorship-resistant money became more clear for multiple reasons. And I'll just list a couple here, but I'm sure people have even more than what what I'm going to list. But obviously, 2022, we saw central banks jerk around interest rates and money supply Um you know, going back more than just 2022, but we've seen them jerk them around in both directions, going to zero, then hiking quickly, uh, M2 growth going up, Fed balance sheet going up, then both going down. And this leads to the booms and busts that we see, and people lose um, real wealth unless they can predict the ups and downs properly, which is basically impossible to do consistently. And, and so those are the people that manage, quote unquote, manage our current monetary system. And we're getting a good glimpse of how they, you know, quote unquote, manage it. Um, number two would be Russia getting shut out of the financial system. Uh, number three would be Canadian trucker protesters getting shut down by financial means. And I think there are plenty more examples of people being censored or shut out of the existing financial system, especially if you look in developing countries. Um, so how, how would we square the fact that there was a big price decline for Bitcoin in 2022 if I'm claiming that the need for it became more clear this year? And I think that's a fair question. And I would offer an analogy of what happened with a company like Amazon when it was earlier in its life cycle. And I've shared something like this on Cafe Bitcoin before, but the idea is that from 1999 to 2001, uh, many people may not know this, but Amazon's price fell by 90%. And at that time, I would bet that people who didn't really follow things deeply, they uh, didn't understand how the internet was going to transform society. They probably thought, oh, this thing's dead. Amazon's just this company that sells books online. And yeah, maybe they'll be around, but it's really not that interesting. And then there were the people who did follow it more deeply and understood what the um, advent of the internet meant for society. And they probably thought, no, this thing's sticking around. The price may have gone down by 90%, but th- this thing has a, a big, big future ahead of it. And obviously that is how the story played out. So I know the analogy is not perfect. Amazon is not the same thing as Bitcoin, but I think there's a lot that can be taken from that analogy. And then the second thing that comes to mind is there's this big question, especially with a lot of the macro thinkers out there and and most mainstream economists about 
fractional reserve being built on top of Bitcoin. And there, there seems to be this statement of, oh, well, we're just going to get fractional reserve built on top of Bitcoin at some point. And I think 2022 was the year that proved that very wrong. Um, this is the year that all the players who tried to do fractional reserve, a a.k.a. Uh, inflated Bitcoin IOUs on top of Bitcoin, they all got wrecked. And to be clear, when, when I say all of the players, that means not just the people who issued the Bitcoin IOUs, but also people who deposited into a Bitcoin IOU issuer, people who borrowed from a Bitcoin IOU issuer, um, or accepted Bitcoin IOUs being transferred from one platform to another. So when people make this claim of, hey, we're just going to get fractional reserve built on top of Bitcoin, um, I am very, very opposed to that. And I could go really long about this because it's a huge part of the Bitcoin thesis, in my opinion. But my quick response to that is, no, we won't get fractional reserve because unlike gold, Bitcoin can be held, sent, verified easily and cheaply. And entities who engage in fractional reserve Bitcoin will never be preferred versus real Bitcoin. No one's going to say, hey, send me a Coinbase Bitcoin IOU instead of real Bitcoin. That just won't happen in any meaningful way. And then... These Bitcoin IOU issuers are not going to get bailed out by governments and central banks. So if fractional reserve entities emerge on top of Bitcoin, it's going to be brief because their collapses will follow very soon after. And it'll get revealed that it's just a risky and foolish activity to partake in. Um, so that's, uh, that's what comes to mind for me. All right. Before we dive into Swan Private Macro, that was really great. Appreciate all you guys doing that. Peter has a question for the audience. Well, that I was do. your chance. I, I have a question. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. Okay. I was wondering, sorry. I was, sorry, I was busy with stack chain. I got to admit it. Um, it's going crazy over there. We just stacked uh, about $25,000 worth of uh, Bitcoin in the last 10 minutes. So it's going a little nuts on, on stack chain. Uh, yeah, I do have a question. Um, I am wondering if there is anybody in the audience that is willing to uh, come up who got their Bitcoin off of one of the scam exchanges um, because of what Corey uh, did. I, I think it's really important for us to recognize, uh, Alex, you did, but I think it's really important to recognize the extreme amount of time an effort that Corey has put into what is really public service. I mean, it's 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 really amazing that a, a CEO of an exchange takes the time that he has taken out of his days to um, to serve the public in in that manner. And I was hoping if somebody would come up and give a testimony, if if you were one of those people, it would be really awesome to hear. I'll just say um, while we're waiting, uh, I've spoken with easily over a dozen of these types of people uh, who fit that description that Peter just laid out um, in person at Pacific Bitcoin or on a Zoom call because uh, they wanted to learn more about Swan. So I've had a lot of those conversations with people. Um, I hope there's someone who's uh, here today in the audience willing to come up. I'm sure yeah, there's I'll tons. 
we've like seen, I've, I've also had calls with so many people from Celsius to FTX to even Luna um, that confirmed, like we have the receipts did, did avoid that. So, you know, it's uh, I think one of the challenges of, trying to warn people against something that is making them money in the short term is it can feel like people don't listen, but it, it definitely, you know, we've definitely seen the receipts and people did listen and a material number of people avoided that. So that's, that's awesome. It's a bit of a big ask because <clears throat> this is something akin to public speaking, like what we're doing here. I've heard lots of people that are basically, I mean, it's not public speaking because you're just on this app and Twitter's not a real place, <laughs> but it feels like that, I think, to a lot of people who, you know, they're nervous about coming up and talking. And uh, it's an even bigger ask for people to say, hey, I might have made a mistake and and this guy saved me. <laughs> Good morning, Aaron. How you doing, man? You got to unmute, bottom left. Sorry. Thanks. First time on the stage here. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Uh, I had made some major moves with our family savings and you know investment and all that stuff uh, into Bitcoin and had been totally uh, sold on the whole be, you know, become your own bank thing with Celsius. Restructured my strategy and everything and um, came across the post from you guys and from Corey and I didn't want to believe it. Because uh, I had, you know, changed my whole future <laughs> around this new strategy. But finally, after reading through those posts, um, I said, man, this is just too risky. I, I think I got to pull it. So about six days before they turned off withdrawals, I had completely exited Celsius, told my friends and family who I had also convinced to join Celsius. So that was another tough pill to swallow. But I said, look, man, I'm real sorry, but I really think you got to get out. Some of them did. One guy's whole life savings saved it, um, got out as well. Had a couple family members that didn't listen, though, and are still fighting to get it back. But just that's all I'll say. Uh, thank you very much. I, I join pretty much every day, and you guys saved my bacon. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming up, Aaron. That was awesome. Appreciate it, dude. Very brave. Um, hey, we're going to keep rolling through here. Say, we got hey, more requests you know how, coming up. Go ahead, bub. Yeah, how cool was that for Aaron to come up? And uh, Aaron, look, man, uh, one man Celsius is another man's Litecoin and Bcash and Ethereum. I held them all, dude. Everyone's got this sort of story when they get into this space. Everyone has the story. You, you don't know. You're, you're coming in. It's brand new. And, man, four years ago, those, those were the big things that I saw. Uh, but guess what? When you start educating yourself, you come to the realization about – self-custody about bitcoin only so no there's no shame in one's game here man that are coming in in fact it's harder today when you show up like a coinbase and you got twenty thousand damn coins staring you in the face man luckily when i when i started to say this journey there was only four i could miss out on but hey kudos to you for coming up uh best of luck to you moving forward you're, you're way ahead of the game sir um that's all i'm gonna say jeff oda good morning you have to unmute, bottom left. Hey, good morning, all. Hey, first, thank you to everybody for all of the content you guys bring every day. I listen every day, so thank you very much. My story is um, I was actually in Celsius loans. I wanted to just kind of try that out. 
Uh, and then I started seeing Corey's posts. And actually what pushed me over the edge is his offer of, you know, I'll give you Swan private for a year. And I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool, right? Just to see, I've been tracking Swan for a while. And so I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll take it out of uh, Celsius's loans. I did, you know, undo the loan and then um, and transfer it back out into my uh, wallet, uh, private wallet or uh, cold storage. Uh, and then like a previous caller, um, about two weeks after they froze everything. So, um, so yeah, that, that was uh, my intro into uh, Corey being, uh, you know, a savior uh, in this space and, and really uh, using the bully pulpit and actually kind of using some extreme language to really get people's attention uh, to really take some action. And that's what it took to me. And then I got to become a Swan private client, got to talk to Alex, who is super cool. Uh, and lot, got to learn a lot more about it. And so, yeah, this Christmas, I bought the whole family gift cards from Swan uh, to get them not only some Bitcoin, but also to get them uh, aligned with the right company uh, that is really trying to educate and encourages you know, getting things off the exchange, Bitcoin off the exchange. So thanks, everybody. That's my story. Uh, I wish I would have done the same with BlockFi. Luckily, it wasn't as much on BlockFi, so I lost a little bit there. Corey warned me about that in the DMs, uh, but I didn't, uh, wasn't fast enough. But uh, yeah, but thanks everyone for that. At least get me out of Celsius. Awesome. Thanks for coming up, Jeff. Also, thanks for the kind words, man. Thanks. All right, let's go. Um, let's hit some small and private macro. Uh, Steven, John, however you want to go. Awesome. What a year. Maybe, maybe we'll do uh how would you guys feel about maybe like a macro overview of the year? I mean, it's end of the year. We're in recap mode. I don't know. Unless John, you had something pressing for today. We could maybe kind of do a macro landscape walkthrough. I think that sounds great. Uh, I know Sam, obviously he's uh does so much good work in the world of macro Bitcoin and traditional markets. Maybe if Sam would be willing to kick that off, because I know he's done some some really good work specifically on the, the topic of recapping 2022. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could drop, drop in. Um, I mean, it's the year of the rise of consumer price inflation all over the world. And then central banks scrambling to try to control it. Um, with spiking interest rates. So, I mean, you have the Fed since March raising interest rates at one of the most aggressive paces in history. And that's caused a headwind for pretty much all asset prices. Um, and it's been, and inflation has remained stubbornly high. And so they just keep raising rates. I mean, that that is the story of macro. Um, and then you got the geopolitical tensions and 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 the risks involved there and the energy crisis that ensued. Um, and all of those things combined created a really toxic mix uh, for asset prices in general. Um, and right now, I mean, I think we're still kind of feeling those interest rate hikes. You know, they talk about a lag in monetary policy and, and that's real. It takes time for a raise in interest rates to kind of trickle down into the economy. And, um, we're, what we're feeling now is the interest rate hikes that happened in, in like the summertime and the spring maybe. Um, and so the interest rate hikes that they're doing right now, we're not going to feel until 
you know, Q1, Q2 of 2023. And you think about the stock market's down like 25% from its all-time high. Um, and we haven't even seen an earnings recession or any kind of uh, real move in the unemployment rate. And so I still think that, you know, going into the beginning of 2023, we're going to see a pretty similar um, outlook in terms of asset prices. And we're actually in the beginning phases where you're starting to see unemployment kind of trickle out of the tech sector and starting to spread into the more broad economy and, and the financial sector. Um, and I think we'll see that increase. Um, we, we see the housing and, and car and autos really starting to come under pressure over the last three or four months. And that is a important leading indicator uh, for a critical part of the economy. Um, not only because, uh, you know, housing and autos are just large, um, you know, goods that people purchase, but also for the reverse wealth effect where people see their net worth on paper um, start to go down and then they start to tighten their belts and then you start to see a decrease in consumption. And, and, and obviously consumption drives the U.S. economy. And you're starting to see consumers slow down. Like in November, you saw retail sales uh, fall by 0.6 month over month. Um, you're seeing credit card debt just spike. You're seeing the savings rate fall. And you're seeing savings just get drained across the board. And, you know, people are, uh, I think JP Morgan predicted that household excess savings are going to be gone by mid-2023 at this current rate. And so I think you're just seeing the economy get squeezed from all different sides. You're seeing credit tighten. Uh, you're seeing liquidity drain from the system as the Fed goes into quantitative tightening. Since July, it's reducing its balance sheet by $60 billion a month. Um, you're also seeing M2 money supply almost negative year over year. So you're seeing liquidity drain from the system. And then you're seeing income squeezed from inflation. And so those three things, credit tightening, liquidity getting drained, and incomes getting squeezed, that all affects nominal spending in the economy, aka decreased economic activity, which is uh, recessionary. Okay, so I, I expect this to go on into 2023, but I'm actually bullish um, kind of on 2023 in general. I just think, uh, you know, the beginning of 2023, we're going to see, uh, you know, rising unemployment rate. Um, and start, some of these things start to really come into effect. And then you're going to start to see, you know, the, I don't want to say pivot, but um, if you see a credit event or some kind of black swan event or the unemployment gets uh, higher and you start to see more of the protests and people are really starting to hurt, you're going to see maybe uh, governments um, talk about stimulus checks again, I think. You're going to start to see the Fed talk about maybe we'll stop quantitative tightening. Maybe we'll take a pause on the interest rates. Um, and I think in that scenario, uh, people are going to wake up more to the fact that they really are in a, in a tough spot and, and Bitcoin is going to be one of the beneficiaries. So um, that was kind of a lot, but that's kind of how I saw 2022 and that's how, how I see the beginning of 2023. Um, and it's, it's been a wild year in the markets, that's for sure. So one thing I wanted to add there, and Sam, maybe you can fact check me on this, but if we look back to 2021 at some point, if we would have looked to the Fed's dot plots or listened to their commentary about what they thought the pace of uh, Fed rate hikes was going to be, I mean, it was like really slow and gradual. I don't have the numbers offhand, but I want to say they, you know, said the first rate hike wasn't even coming until some point in 20, late 22 or 23. I'm not sure exactly when, but they kind of painted this picture 
of look, rates are going to be where they are for some time and we're just going to gradually lift off and everything's going to be fine. And what ends up happening in practice is the Fed is not good at being predictive, which, you know, how many times does that need to be proven true with the financial crisis being the first huge one, at least in my lifetime? And what happens is instead of this gradual, slow increase to, to interest rates, they are reactive and they say, oh, crap, uh, this is not what we saw coming. And now we have to hike rates really quickly. So now, now let's fast forward what's happening today when they tell you going forward, you look at the dot plot and they have this, you know, they're going to increase a little bit more and they tell you they're going to gradually decrease interest rates, gradual, slow cuts, you know, if they need like a year out from now. So I just think, you know, why would we believe them when they're claiming that their path downward in interest rates is going to be this slow, easy soft landing when the path upward clearly was not what they forecasted. So I think it's more likely that something could go wrong and they will have to say, okay, wow, we've got to cut and we've got to cut really quickly in response to this. I think that's entirely possible, but you know, bigger point, I, I think it's just been proven so many times in the last 15 years that the fed, the treasury politicians, central bankers, uh, they're not predictive, even though they want to convince people that they are with all their models and forecasts, but they don't do a good job of predicting how things are actually going to play out. They're, they're much more so reactive. So I, I think uh, we should just always remember that anytime we see what the, an entity like the Fed is forecasting. And usually they overdo it um, until it's painfully obvious what's happening, and then they have to react in a big way. And I could easily see that happening in the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, John, that's, I agree completely. And just to add a little context, when the Fed started raising rates in March, they basically promised that they would do forward guidance. Um, and then they said that you know a 75 basis point raise was not something that the central bank was actively considering. This was in March. And three months later in June, they just completely abandoned any kind of forward guidance. Their plans are just changing week to week. Um, and then they kind of grew into this data dependent thing. So, you know, they were basically shooting from the hip and that's, you know, what they've been doing for a while. So just wanted to add a little context to that, but I agree, man. Yeah. So maybe, maybe a couple, I'm going to, I'm going to try to maybe do a quick, maybe summary jumping off point. So I think from from everything you shared and everything we've seen this year, I think I, I think it'd be fair to say that the largest trends that have defined 2022 were the Fed pivoting, the Fed going into rate hikes, which has, you know, they've done so at the fastest pace in like four decades. And markets and investors, um, you know, essentially responding to that. And I think it's it's put a lot of people in a new landscape that they haven't had to operate in from the traditional finance world, even to Bitcoin. Bitcoin's never experienced really like, a, and I mean, you know, if this turns around tomorrow, then we could say, okay, it was a flash in the pan. But, you know, Bitcoin's never really gone through a consistently rising rate environment. And so there's an element of, I think, uncertainty there or a new, a new environment that investors have had to navigate. I think that's been a huge part of it. The energy crisis, I think, has been another, you know, 
huge theme for 2022 that I think we're going to continue to deal with. Uh, personally, I don't think we're really anywhere through that. And actually with China reopening right now, which at least is what it seems like COVID is being allowed to go through the population. Uh, we're probably going to see some huge pressure on a very tight supply of oil. And especially with the um, strategic petroleum reserve starting to be refilled. So energy crisis, I think, dominated it. Uh, obviously, the war in Ukraine. And I think a trend where you saw the air get sucked out of the most heavily financialized players. Um, I, I saw, I think it was a, I think it was Cuppy uh, who said this, but it was uh, the only trade you needed for 2022 was long value short Ponzi. Um, I thought that was that was pretty clever. But, you know, you saw these really overvalued tech stocks come down. You saw uh, really leveraged plays come down. You saw people with debt get squeezed. You saw actual Ponzi's collapse, FTX and Celsius and these various things. And, you know, on the flip side, you saw energy and kind of more boring, out-of-favor value investments that had uh, kind of languished for the last decade as cheap money fueled a raging bull market in the uh, least profitable names. So I think, I think those are kind of the big themes. And I, I just want to highlight one thing about how the government might react to uh, times getting tougher ahead. And this is... Um, comes from Russell Napier. We've talked about this in the past, but I think it bears repeating. Um, he has an article that you could probably search for. If you search Russell Napier, the world will experience a CapEx boom. But I think it, it, it's important to repeat because, you know, how, how might the governments get involved if things get tougher in the coming years because they're trying to fight consumer price increases, but that ends up uh, slowing economic activity and then it also um, makes their debt harder to pay back. And they're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. And one of the things that Russell Napier throws out is this idea that uh, governments will direct credit activity in the economy, but not so directly that it's super obvious that, you know, not like the Treasury is going to issue $3 trillion of debt and the Fed's going to buy it all in like a month, like we saw in COVID. But rather, they're going to guarantee loans that banks make to corporations. And he has this crazy stat that in the EU, since February 2020, out of all the new loans in Germany, these are bank loans to corporations, 40% of them are guaranteed by the government. And in France, it's 70% of the new loans uh, since 20, February 2020. And he said in Italy, it's it's 100%. So, you know, that's just pretty wild. And, and the thing about this is, it's like the biggest can kicking exercise you can imagine. Because this is just a contingent liability for governments. They, I, don't, I don't think they would necessarily say, you know, this is a debt. It, it's not the same thing as the Treasury just issuing a trillion dollars worth of debt. It's like it's a guarantee that it's almost like an off balance sheet item is how I would think about it. But it's it's a real thing that the, the state will have to deal with if any of these loans go bad. And I would argue there's a good chance of these loans going bad when 
uh, you have this kind of central planning and moral hazard involved. So I think that's something that we're going to see more of in the coming decade, whether it's in the EU or in the, the U.S. Um, so I think that's just something to keep an eye on. And in general, uh, you know, a theme this year was deglobalization, right? The fragmentation of trade uh, throughout the world. And, and that doesn't seem like it's turning around anytime soon. And that's structurally inflationary. And with the energy crisis and just in general energy scarcity, to, to fix that is, you know, investment and long-term investment in building out the infrastructure. Um, and that takes money and that takes spending. And that takes, uh, you know, that in itself is inflationary as well. And so um, I see that trend continuing. So I do think inflation could be stickier. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation. I know Lavish and Foss, I agree with them in that the Fed will pivot to a different target for inflation. They'll settle at like 4 or 5% because there is structural inflationary forces at, at work here. And, uh, you know, no amount of raising interest rates is going to change these dynamics. Um, it's, it's, it's above them, right? It's, this, is a, this is about geopolitical relations and a changing world order. And um, that's inflationary. That is just straight up inflationary. So um, I do think we'll see inflation kind of be stickier than what these central banks like. Um, so that's just one thing to keep in mind, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John, you know, that was, um, I didn't know that uh, about the European situation because I'm, I'm also kind of a fan of Napier and what he's been doing. And um, I, uh, I did not know that they were already kind of running that playbook. I think that's pretty significant. Um, it, one of the reasons for those in the audience that aren't familiar with his work, the reason uh, Napier, I think, thinks that these government guaranteed loans are so significant is because it is effectively governments seizing full control of money issuance um, where, because essentially if a commercial bank does a loan and the government guarantees it, which makes them do the loan, they can basically just say, hey, we're going to guarantee a billion dollars of loans to solar panels. And it'll happen. And that is effectively targeted money issuance. And uh, so Napier's thesis is that this is going to be the playbook for the next decade. And you're going to see these government guaranteed loans driving a huge amount of infrastructure spending. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, and just go, go ahead, Sam. No, no, I've just I've written about this in terms of what's going on in Europe, you know, Germany, UK, all these guaranteed loans. I mean, I think that's why Russell you know, Russell sees that in his front yard happening. So yeah, it's, it's already, it's already going on. And I was just going to add, I think it's important to keep in mind, like what's effectively happening here is like Steven said, the government is controlling credit growth and where like the magnitude of credit growth and where it goes in the economy. But they're not do with these government guaranteed loans. They're not doing it in a way that's just like, hey, we're going to nationalize the bank. And now instead of getting a loan from this quote unquote private bank, you get a loan from the government. That's when it's super obvious that if you're getting a loan from the government nationalized bank, that the government has taken over. 
Um, it's also super obvious in a CBDC type scenario where, you know, the, the government just controls your wallet and controls the amount of money and interest rates directly. That's pretty obvious to, I think, anyone. This whole government guaranteed loan structure is pretty opaque. And I think, you know, 99 plus percent of the population is not going to follow this because they're just going to see that the private bank, again, quote unquote private, because banks nowadays are really just like government sponsored entities. Um, they're going to get a loan from the bank and it's going to seem normal. It's going to seem like it's been throughout history. But when the government is uh, guaranteeing that loan, that's effectively what causes the loan to be made in the first place. And the government can say, hey, we'll guarantee a loan that's made to this part of the economy, but not to this part of the economy. So it, it's basically just an opaque way for them to control what's going on without it being super obvious in, in, as it would be if they nationalized the bank or introduced a, a CBDC. All right. Um, amazing stuff, all of you guys. Uh, we got about nine minutes left in the show. So I think we should open it up for questions. If you're on the panel, you got anything? Go right ahead. If you're in the audience, you want to ask some questions of these guys from Swan Private. Request to come up. We'll bring you up. We'll be kind to you. And then we'll give everybody a couple moments to make some closing comments and wrap. Yeah, it might be fun to do a 2023 prediction too, but we can open it up. Oh, okay, Sam, you're it. Yeah. Um, my prediction is that you know, I think, I think we're near the bottom. I think, you know, at this rate, I, this is probably going to be the longest bear market in Bitcoin's history. Um, at, when it, if it, <laughs> it doesn't hit an all time high by Christmas, uh, it will be the longest bear market in Bitcoin's history. And we've seen a lot of the traditional signs of a bottom take place. We've seen Ponzi schemes explode, leverage companies go under, miners capitulate. Most of the speculators are long gone. Um, you know, these are the kind of things you see towards the bottom. So um, I think, yes, it could go down further, especially in like a black swan event. Um, but we're down, what, over 70% from the all-time high. Um, and so I just think that now's the time would be a great time to accumulate and to uh, start dollar cost averaging. And I'm pretty bullish on the second half of March of 2023 in general in terms of Bitcoin's price action. So that's my prediction. I think uh, the bottom can last a long time, but um, I think we're near it. And so, yeah, I think things are going to go up from here in general. And I'll just, I'll add that I think it's uh, always really, really difficult to pick the bottom perfectly. Uh, you know, we can all look at a price chart going back for a stock or, you know, bonds or, uh, or not bonds, sorry, stock or Bitcoin or real estate in your local area and say, oh, I should have bought when it was low right there. You know, hindsight's 2020. Um, that's why it's good to not try to pick the bottom perfectly. You want to be accumulating over time and, and kind of dial it up when you think all of the factors as you analyze them are pointing towards a bottom forming. And I tend to agree with Sam that we're getting a lot of signs of a bottom forming, whether it's the Fed kind of moving past uh, peak, peak hawkish, hawkishness, as they say, um, and, and a lot of the crypto contagion nonsense getting flushed out of, of, 
uh, Bitcoin and how it affects Bitcoin. You know, is it possible that another crypto contagion event happens and takes Bitcoin down a little bit further? Yes, it is possible. Um, but uh, I think now definitely a good time to be accumulating, especially if and when you have a multi-year time horizon uh, for your Bitcoin allocation. And then other comment I would just add is uh, the fact that I, I subscribe to the Lynn Alden thesis. Um, I, I think she's amazing, as I know many people on, uh, in this room uh, think as well. But the fact that the 2020s will overall be an inflationary decade. Um, when I say inflationary decade there, I mean consumer price inflation. But it's not just going to be a straight line up of, of CPI going higher. There's, there's going to be uh, increases and decreases. But I think when we look back at the 2020s, it's going to be an, an inflationary decade overall. And when CPI is coming down, the Fed will kind of wave these mini victory flags of like, look, we, we did it. We, you know, we got inflation back down towards our 2% target or something like that. But that doesn't mean it's going to stay there for the, you know, the year or two following that. So I think it, it's, it's going to stick around for quite a while because of some of the uh, things that played out in the world and the economy over the last 20 to 40 years are now going in reverse. Um, so I would say just keep that in mind. That's the longer term trend. But there could be many trends uh, in either in, in the opposite direction uh, over the next 10 years or so. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think 2023, I'm, I'm with you guys that my, uh, you know, gun to my head we're far, far, far closer to a bottom than we are not close to one. Um, there's a lot of signs. Everything known to man has gotten blown out. Uh, it's hard to imagine. the. I mean, I don't think the Fed's going to 7% on, on the federal funds rate. Like, there's only so much space left there. You know, maybe we see one more high-profile blow-up. Um, we actually had the... You know, we had the pleasure last night of uh, speaking with somebody with, in the private uh, webinar that is was kind of close to the Genesis issue. And who knows if this is correct or not. I'm just relaying a take from someone far closer to the inside workings of that than I am. But he seemed pretty optimistic that there is a resolution coming. So I think that that being resolved could be some relief to the market. Could we have another black swan? Could Binance fail? Yeah. I mean, would that put, you know, some more pressure? Of course. But, you know, the list of, of people who may still blow up is getting significantly smaller. Uh, and uh, the amount of rope the Fed has left, I think, is also shortening. So I think we're, we're getting there. And I think Bitcoin ends the year of 2023 meaningfully higher than it is now. I think it's an up year for sure. I don't know what happens between here and there, but, you know, I think this is an accumulation zone. I think commodity inflation recurs next year. So I think a lot of people are kind of chalking up the commodities rally in 2022 as like a flash in the pan. It's over and done with. I think it surprises a lot of those people by coming back. I think oil probably has a strong move up relatively soon as China reopens and they're forced to refill the SP, uh, the petroleum reserve. Um, 
And I think that could spook some of the inflation concerns. But, um, you know, I do think, like you said, John, inflation continues, inflationary decade. It's, you know, real rates are negative. Rates may stay higher. Like, you know, do does the federal funds rate go back to zeros shortly? P- probably not. But is it going to be meaningfully, is it going to be negative versus inflation? I, I think so. Um, yeah, I think those are, yeah. So I think, I think Bitcoin has a green year. I think we're getting there. I do think inflation continues. Okay. We're short on time around Terrence. Go. Yeah. I mean, answers too. Terrence question and answers short. Okay. I don't hear a question. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Is it just me? Sure. I don't know who I don't know who Terrence is talking to. Jesus All right. Christ. Okay, I'm Peter. just going to pop in here because Terrence can't seem to figure it out. Uh, I'm just going to say <laughs> that I started stacking sats in uh, February of 21. I stacked all the way up to 64, all the way back down to 15 uh, just recently. I am still sack- stacking sats today. My prediction is, is that I'm going to continue to stack sats because I am on the mission. <laughs> I love right, it. Let's go. All right, uh, Ben, one more time, 5 p.m. today, Eastern, go to YouTube, search for BTC Sessions, check out his his live Christmas end of the year recap is going to be goddamn epic, I think. Uh, and Ben, thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, let's, we've still got Jeff up here. Jeff, do you have, do you want to make a, give a one or two minute um, closing thoughts and we'll go around and get a couple more closing thoughts and wrap. Sure, I'll try to be super brief. Uh, first, Ben, man, good luck with the program tonight. It looks like an epic lineup. It's going to be awesome. I hope everybody watches it. It's it's uh, awesome. Good for you and everything you're doing in the Bitcoin education space. Uh, Sam, Professor Stephen, and John, uh, you guys always nail it. I actually agree literally with, I think, 100% of what you said in your macro views. I always try to get like, okay, what's what's the practical point? Like, How do we make money and not lose money off of this as a fund manager? I would just say uh, for people in the audience, be careful, you guys. It's it's uh it, it's 2022 has been rough. The first half of 2023 is setting up to be even worse. I'd say so. That's my my you know ongoing bearish uh, sentiment. It's it's going to be rough, but we're very close to a bottom. I'd say too. A lot of smart people think that this is going to last pretty long. I actually beg to differ. I think things are going to come to a head more uh, quickly, and it's going to be ugly. Uh, that head is not something that we'll enjoy going through. Um, so just be careful out there. Don't be afraid to build up cash positions. Um, hopefully the bull market starts soon, and, and, uh, and uh, as the second half of 2023 gets underway, uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic, actually, for what's coming uh, beyond that. I'm with you 100% there. Just real quick, Alex, I know you got to wrap up, but I just want to echo. That's how I see it too, Jeff. It's 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 ripping off the Band-Aid rather than a slow bleed. I'm actually pretty confident that we don't see this drag on for another two years or anything like that. So I'm with you there. I don't care either way. I'm stacking. Let's go. More cheap sets for me. Sam Callahan, closing the. No, I don't have any closing thoughts except um, everyone have a wonderful uh, Christmas and um, enjoy the holidays. Have a good time with friends and family. Touch some grass. Call your mom. Sit up straight in your chair. (laughs) Sit up straight in your chair and go walking. Walk. Like walk a lot. 
So nice. <laughs> Steve, Steven Lubka has set this the the internet standard for for posture in podcasts. If you if you do a podcast ever and you're on video, guaranteed you will be compared to Steven's posture. John Har, closing thoughts, and we wrap. Yeah, no, nothing big for me. Uh, real, great being uh, here with everyone, and uh, I will just uh, shout out BTC Sessions. Um, his live show that's going to go on just seems like a really, really awesome lineup of people. So everyone check that out and, uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays and uh, happy new year. Awesome way to close up for sure. Man, I'm going to miss you guys next week. Not really. I'm going to stay up late and yeah, wake you're up gonna late. You're going to be here. You're not going to miss every us day. At all. <laughs> All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do talk about Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Roll for two hours. Talk about all things Bitcoin, things that intersect with Bitcoin. It's a great place to learn. The place for your morning news. Prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry. If you can't catch the live show on Twitter, catch the podcast on Fountain, Spotify, Apple. Throw me or Swan of all to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show. My crew, Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, producer Jacob. Man, like, just to my crew, like, really appreciate you guys. This is basically wrapping up a year and a little bit. You guys have been rock freaking solid, man. Could not have done this without you dudes. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. Thanks again to the Swan Private guys for hanging out, talking to people about the macros. And uh, as well as Jeff, Ben, for being here today, all the speakers that come on this show on a regular basis, spending their personal time to teach people about this bright orange feature. This is what we call getting on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out. You'll figure it out. Love you guys. Have a great day. Get out there and crush it. <laughs>